Hello, and welcome back to the Anxiety Book Club. This is episode 39, and I'm very, very pleased to be joined by this month's guest, Sasha Mardu. Sasha is an award-winning British cartoonist and comic book artist living in the United States, St. Louis to be specific. She is the author of two graphic novels, Sky and Stereo, Volumes 1 and 2, and has a couple of projects um, coming up. One is a memoir, and the other one is more of a therapy comic, if I'm getting that right. And she's also the creator of ifscomics.com. So, Sasha, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me here, Josh. Any clarifications that I bungle that bio? <laughs> yes. So the, uh, the the memoir is actually the therapy book. So it's um it's going to be published by Avery Comics, which is like Penguin USA, and it's going to be like a, a memoir of like three years of therapy, so like talk therapy and IFS, and it's all about healing anxiety. So this is a good podcast for me to be on, right? I think it's a very good one for you. Yeah. To be on. <laughs> Mostly because it's mine, but also just because I resonate so much with right. the work that you do. It's especially with the IFS stuff. It's so awesome. Oh, well, thank you so much. And yeah, it was absolutely anxiety that took me to therapy in the first place and has kind of changed my life, both my creative life and my day to day living life, you know, so yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. Awesome. Yeah, I think I, I, I'm not sure exactly how I came across you, but I have a a friend who's a comic book artist, Drew Lerman, who um, might have pointed you my way. Hmm. And once I found you on Facebook and stuff, it seemed pretty obvious that the work you were doing, you know, was a really good fit for me personally. But I also think for this audience um, who may have heard many tools and I've had IFS people on the podcast before, including Dick Schwartz, so they might know a little bit about it. But mm -hmm. seeing someone's journey and the way that you are able to illustrate and describe the process of getting to know you know these little friends mm -hmm. that we'll talk more about is really you know as a as a patient just as someone who's doing it myself it's really it's captivating and I'll say I feel a lot of tenderness as I read the therapy comics because it feels a lot like my own journey mm -hmm. um, so yeah oh that's so nice to hear thank you yeah totally so we were talking before the recording started that you live in St. Louis. I went to college there. So how did you how did you land in the middle of America from, I think you said Manchester, England? Yeah, that's right. So um, before I ever went to therapy, I was a cartoonist first. It's always been uh, my side gig. Like I've had like, for most of my life, I had like day jobs to support my cartooning, but cartooning was always my main thing. And um, St. Louis actually has quite a lot of cartoonists. And um, my husband, Ted May, is a really fantastic uh, comics book author and illustrator and he is from here and I bought one of his comic books at a comic show in the UK and we became pen pals and then real life pals and then we ended up getting married and decided to move here and it's been it's been a good home for us you know that's awesome I, I used to work at a pizza place in Clayton I don't know if you've ever been to the uptown cafe uh, I don't know but I know Clayton that's actually where I went to <laughs> therapy so <laughs> I know Clayton very well yeah. okay yeah. Well, um, not very good pizza, I'll say. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm actually a vegan, so I okay. probably would have skipped it anyway. So, okay. So you mentioned that your journey into, I guess, therapy and mental health started with anxiety. Is that fair? No, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So that's that's interesting. And I think I know a little bit about your journey just from reading your comics at ifscomics.com. What what's anxiety like for you? What's it what's it been like for you historically? What's your relationship to it? What do you think about it? Okay, so 
It's, um, I mean, like I said, anxiety is the whole reason I started therapy in the first place. And I started therapy in 2017. So right after Donald Trump took office, I had my very first therapy session. And I'd reached this point in my life, like it was, it felt like a midlife crisis. I'd hit 40. And like, you know, throughout my 30s, I'd worked really hard to make this really great life for myself. You know, I'd moved to America at the age of 30, married my husband, we had a, a kid, everything was great in my life, but I just couldn't enjoy any of it. I was constantly uh, catastrophizing and just like imagining the worst. Like I just knew that any bit of bad news could basically like ruin my life in an instant. And so even though I had this this great life, like I didn't feel like I could enjoy any of it. And um, I had... I had quite a traumatic childhood and I had never connected the dots that the stuff I went through as a kid would actually be affecting my my mood and the way I kind of like reacted to things as a 40 year old woman. Um, and so, yeah, when I once I was able to connect those dots and it's actually through I went to a um, acupuncturist here in St. Louis, a really wonderful guy. And um, it was actually he who helped me connect the dots between my sort of childhood past and the anxiety and physical symptoms I was having I was actually having acne so like my anxiety was kind of giving me you know this kind of anxiety that I couldn't hide because it was like all over my face because um, I'd done a really great job of just like pushing anxiety down for years and years and suddenly you know you can't ignore it when you've got a face full of zits and so that was why I initially um, connected with a acupuncturist and he helped connect me with what was going on inside of me and he actually introduced me to my therapist who my first therapist who's a, a wonderful um a wonderful uh, psychologist so so that was my journey into it awesome so i guess those acupuncture sessions were like pretty conversational otherwise if he was just kind of like pricking you with needles he probably wouldn't have found out much about your childhood very much so he actually introduced me to mindfulness and he got me to meditate for the first time and it was actually i started to like meditate i'd set my timer for 20 minutes a day and I started to cry while I was meditating. And um, actually, the very first acupuncture session I had, I kind of like just started weeping. And I had no idea why. Uh, but I was so embarrassed. And I couldn't even like wipe my tears away because my hands were full of needles and I was left alone in a dark room. Um, anyway, so my acupuncturist, he kind of encouraged me to uh, try mindfulness meditation. And once I kind of managed to get quiet enough, just so much sadness and pain would come up. So, so yeah, that was, that was another aspect of um, beginning to heal my anxiety in the beginning of my journey. Yeah, that's an inter that's really interesting. So I've never done acupuncture before. Does it does it does it bring things up for? Does it create a space sort of in the way that? Oh, that's a good question. Or... It creates a little bit of space, and um, I, I honestly don't understand it myself. Like my you know my acupuncturist has his own podcast, and he could like tell you way more about it. But for me, um, it just helped me kind of like tune in with what was going on inside, you know, like I feel like other, I guess other modalities and other kind of traditions have, you know, like they talk about the energy body and it was the first time I'd ever kind of tuned into it. So I think that's maybe the best way of explaining it. Got it. And is that a practice that you've kept the acupuncture or was it really just a launching pad? No, it was the launching pad. I mean, my acupuncturist was very honest with me. He was like, like maybe therapy would be the best you know next step for you and at the time it was like oh my god like he thinks I need therapy I was like so mm -hmm. offended and then he was like you know I'm speaking from personal experience and it's like okay well maybe I don't have to be embarrassed about it um I mean being British as well is another aspect of this like in the UK we don't talk about therapy it's not a very common thing to go to therapy and be open about it and so I had all my British parts of my personality were like dead against it as well 
And I'd also had, um, I'd had an episode when I was a teenager. Um, I'd taken psychedelic drugs when I was 17 and I got hospitalized for a, for a couple of months. Um, I was quite ill. And so I had a huge mistrust of like the mental health profession and psychiatrists. And I didn't know the difference back then between psychiatry and therapy. I didn't, you know, for me, it was all like the same thing that I couldn't trust. So I had a lot of, um, I had a lot of biases against um, therapy and about seeking help. Um, but yeah, like a little bit, bit by bit, like with acupuncture and sort of tuning into my body and trying meditation, I sort of began to soften towards it. And I'm so glad I did. Yeah, and I think we are as well as as fans. <laughs> Thank you. Um, there's so many sort of tributaries that we could paddle along yeah. and keep saying yeah. interesting stuff. I think the the hallucinogenic episode that you refer to, some of that is is appears in Sky and Stereo. Is that? Oh, that's accurate? right. Yeah, it's. Um, I actually dealt with that in my in my two part graphic novel. Yeah. That's awesome. How come my therapist has never encouraged me to write a book or publish anything? <laughs> well, I I kind of like told my therapist in the first session. I was like, you know. I've, um, I'm a cartoonist. I'm, I've done a graphic novel. I, I kind of like told him, and we didn't really need to focus on the, uh, you know, the, the history when I was 17 and being a psychiatric hospital because I'd made a comic about that, so it was like dealt with in my mind, you know. And he jumped on the fact that I was an author, and he told me that, you know, the family story that I just told him of my my childhood is like you should make a book about that. And I just laughed and said, "You're crazy. I could never write about that stuff. It's too personal. It's too embarrassing. It's too shameful, you know." So, so yeah, I had. <laughs> Like I said, a lot of biases, but um, I was so fortunate on my healing journey to meet so many like great healers um, who really kind of got me, you know, and really made space for me. Yeah, I remember reading the comic where he appears. It seems like he was a really sort of patient person to introduce you to IFS. So did, have you had a few different IFS therapists? So let's see, I've had, yeah, I worked with my, my main therapist, um, we did a lot of talk therapy and he introduced me to IFS and there was something about him being a guy. I just, once we really got into IFS after about a year and a half of doing talk therapy, um, I felt like I really want to do this with a female like IFS therapist. And so I kind of like switched to a female therapist for about nine months. And then I kind of went back to him um, for kind of like counseling, like family counseling to sort of help me deal with a lot of, you know, craziness in my family that was still ongoing that wasn't really to do with my own internal system, but was more to do with like, how do I cope when members of my family do this, you know? So, so yeah, I, so, and then more recently I dealt with another, I worked with another female therapist, an IFS therapist, you know, to do some more um, stuff along like spiritual lines and investigate some of my own spiritual like background. So I was also raised a Jehovah's Witness. So there is a lot going on <laughs> in my system. And um, yeah, I've made comics that kind of cover all of that. One of the reasons why I wanted to go back and make um, like a whole memoir of this process was that, you know, I started putting these comics out week by week and there would just be like like a patchwork quilt, like a dip in and draw something from here and then I draw something from there. And nothing was ever chronological. And I, I really had this idea that I'd like to get all my little patchwork quilt pieces of comics and put them in chronological order and see what kind of memoir that would make. Totally. And that'll be past tense, I guess. That will be past tense. Yeah. Yeah. And right. that, like I said, I've got a major publisher for that. So it's, it's going to be a big deal for me when it comes out. I've got to do a book tour and stuff, but I'm so excited and so thrilled to sort of work with, um, you know, a big publisher for that. So it's, it's quite an adventure. Yeah. You should make DC one of your stops. Oh, I'm sure I will. And yeah, I hope to. <laughs> Thank you. 
So, um, yeah, there's a couple of important things here. I think one thing, just for listeners who aren't familiar with the acronym IFS, because mm-hmm. um, we've, you know, sort of ran away with it. So it's this therapy modality called internal family systems. This guy named Dick Schwartz came up with it. It's a sort of non-traditional form of therapy that the way I think of it is it's sort of like a, a guided, it's sort of like a meditation with another person. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, you probably have your own definition of how exactly it works, but... Um, yeah, no, I think that's so that's good. It is very much like a guided meditation that your therapist will do with you. And what you'll do is, you know, you'll kind of sit and close your eyes and you'll sort of let yourself get quiet and settled and grounded. And um, the therapist, what's great about IFS is that the therapist has done their own work. And so they're able to hold what is called self-energy, um, which is when you basically t- tap into your kind of like inner calm you know you're um you're kind of like higher self in a way it's hard to explain but your therapist will sit there and kind of like hold space for you and they will kind of like guide you through meeting one of your internal parts which could be an emotion like fear or you know it could be like an anxious part and they will actually sort of guide you through working with that part and exploring aspects of it and you basically like you focus in and you um kind of befriend it and you find out if there's any other parts there that maybe don't like this part so if you have an anxious part it's like or if you have a really self-critical part that doesn't want you to you know kind of be be perceived as weak or you know so you'd have to deal with the critical part as well um and then you know step by step they they will work with this part until you reach a place of kind of acceptance and openness and when you can get curious about it and like some real like healing energy can just start to come up in your system it's it's hard to explain. And I think IFS is one of those things that you just have to sort of try for yourself. Um, my second therapist, my uh, female IFS therapist, she said to me, you know, it's not for everybody. It can seem really hokey, you know, and um, I think we can carry a lot of skepticism about, well, I'm just making this up. This is my imagination. But once you actually try it, if it's a good fit for you, it, it's such a gentle and respectful way of working with your own system, with working with your own traumas. And it's kind of quite amazing what can come up. Like it's such an imp- unpredictable thing. It can take you to places and it can bring up memories that you didn't know um, were going to come up or you didn't know were kind of connected to a situation in your life. So, yeah, it's really magical, wonderful. I think making comics about it is easier for me than actually trying to explain what it's like in person. But I do, I mean, I do highly recommend the system. Um, and it works so well with many other modalities, which is what's wonderful about it. Um, you know, you can also do it with EMDR or um, somatic experiencing. Uh, in my case, you know, I, I used it alongside talk therapy. And together, those two things just really have given me so much transformation and, and calm and centeredness. So, yeah, it's changed my life. Yeah, that's so wonderful to hear. It's always great when the, well, it, it, I mean, it's it's great in two ways that a person like you, like a skeptic, but mm-hmm. also like an artist, you know, takes on IFS and you can, you can read and see the skepticism in like some of the first comics that you write about it, yeah, where like the sure. therapist will ask you like, well, tell that part to to step back. And you're like, oh, I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Apparently you can just ask a part of yourself to do something for you and they will often cooperate. Yeah. <laughs> That's the sense of humor in there, I think is really great. Well, thank you. Um, and IFS is such a visual thing. So to have someone with a gift for, you know, illustration, um, 
makes it all the more relatable, I think. For me, it is, you know, I know that um, I kind of like I talk to a lot of people in communities. I have like a Patreon community and I have, you know, there's Facebook and Instagram is another place where I post my comics. And I, I can like talk to a lot of people there. And, you know, it's it's one of those tricky things. Like I'm, let's see, five years into my therapy journey. Um, and, you know, I've been doing IFS for like four of those four of those years. And it's something that I've done so much work and so much unburdening. Like I've really processed and healed a lot of trauma from that. So I'm pretty advanced and I'm pretty far down that road as a client, right? And somebody just starting IFS may not, you know, experience all this at once. Like there was a lot of difficulty with the model I experienced early on. Like, you know, it was it was very, very hard and very, very painful. And I could not have done it alone. And so I never want to give the wrong impression to people like this is a practice, you know. And if I'm good at it now, and I'm doing good in quotation marks, if I'm good at it, it's because, you know, I've had a lot of help and because, you know, I've kind of kept it up as a practice. And also I'm kind of lucky that for me, it's a very visual thing. Like I kind of do kind of close my eyes and see pictures, you know, not everybody does. Like some people, they may get a sense of their parts, you know, and how they feel or as memories, or they may, you know, even kind of like hear kind of like inner words rather than seeing things. So it's, you know, it's a very personal thing. Um, I never want to give the impression that this is what IFS will be like for you. It's just I'm only ever telling my own story. Sure. Yeah, it's important to manage expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess the good thing is the downside is, you know, maybe just time and money. You know, there's nothing probably horrific that would happen to you if you tried IFS and it didn't work. Um, but I, I, I yeah, yeah, I mean, ahead. if you have a lot of serious trauma, I mean, yeah, you really want to work with someone who you connect with and trust because it, you know, and especially this will come out in the the memoir that I'm doing, but there were moments where it it was very, very difficult to kind of like do IFS. IFS. I felt like very overwhelmed, Um, you know, like the trauma and the memories that were coming up. It's like, I didn't actually want them, you know, it's like, I'd rather just keep them in like a dark cupboard. So, so yeah, I mean, I do think it's very much something to try for the first time with a therapist and someone you trust. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, maybe I misspoke. There are maybe some important caveats that need to be issued uh, for those that have like, you know, things in their past or things mm-hmm. in the cob cobwebbed corners of their mind that could be truly painful yeah. if accessed under the wrong circumstances. Yeah, and especially in situations of like abuse and you know that kind of trauma that people can carry, it can be very you know like we can suppress things and our parts suppress things for a reason you know because it doesn't feel safe to even go there. So, I mean, it took me to, you know, I was 41 before I felt safe enough with a person to actually go there and open those closets and, you know, and bring out, bring out those traumas to heal them. And so, so yeah, I do urge caution, but at the same time, it's once you find a person that you trust and can work with, um, it's, it's a really wonderful, gentle, respectful model. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question about just the process of creating these comics. So. <clears throat> mm-hmm you know, a lot might happen in a therapy session and a lot of it's like easy to forget. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking at one called for yourself, um, that I like a lot. So do you get home and sort of immediately take some notes about what happened? Like, how do you remember sort of what happened in the session and, and put that into a piece of art? Yes. I think what's really helped me is that I don't drive a car, which in St. Louis is pretty unusual, but I use public transport. And so I would finish my therapy session and get on the Metrolink. And on the journey home, I would kind of write notes in my sketchbook. And it immediately began as 
um, you know, I wanted to get the most like bang for my dollar out of the therapy sessions. I didn't want to forget anything. So I would like write it all down just for myself and I would draw little pictures and I would draw speech bubbles and pictures of my therapist, you know. So I basically made these comics for myself as a way to kind of remember and sort of help process what had just come up. And, um, you know, that eventually, like sort of two years into therapy in 2019, I was feeling so much better and I had like sketchbooks full of all these therapy stories, you know, for myself. And I really had like the urge to start sharing them. So that was the genesis of that. It came about quite organically just because I felt like this was good stuff and I wanted to share it, you know, and I was no longer feeling so, um, so protective, you know, about myself. So, so that's how that came about. And now I do a lot of self-work. Like I do this, I do IFS as a practice for myself. And when I like sit and go into this little meditation by myself um sometimes i'll use cds by dick schwartz he has a lot of like guided audio um, which i really recommend um or sometimes i'll just like kind of find a part and work with it myself but i'll always have like a pad of paper and pencil and you know when i open my mat when i open my eyes i'll draw some stick figures and write notes about what what has just happened and really for me now like the whole process of like drawing my parts has become such a big part of my ifs work you know i can't really distinguish them anymore but, but that's just me, you know. But I know a lot of people. Um, there's some creative groups on Facebook. Um, there's an IFS parts art community. Parts, arts, that's hard to say. But people use music, um, sculpture, painting, poetry, songwriting. There, there are some incredibly creative people out there. I mean, I think everyone's creative. Let's just say that. But people are really using their creativity and tapping into their creativity and using it with parts. And it is really incredible to see that kind of community take off. So that's worth checking out if you're on Facebook. Yeah, I'll put a link to the IFS Parts yeah. Arts group in the in the show notes. Um, yeah, you said a couple of interesting things. It also sort of strikes me that you're a very motivated client or, oh, yeah. Yeah. or patient of healing. Because some people will just go to therapy once a week or once every other week, then they'll go home and it'll sort of isolate itself to that sort of hour mm. of the day. But if you're taking notes and you're drawing stuff, and I remember in one comic, you'd like brought a book in that triggered you and you read it just so that you could have access to parts right. that are like hard <laughs> to access. So like you're probably in some ways like a therapist dream client because like you are very motivated to do the work and I guess well, getting the bank you. for That's your really buck nice. is sometimes yeah. these things can be expensive. Yeah, I, and this is the thing. I mean, I was working, um, my day job back then was I was working on a library. I was making about $12 an hour. And so I really needed like therapy to work. Like I was kind of at my wits end really. I didn't know what else could help me, you know. Um, and so I, I was really motivated for therapy to work and I decided to give it my all. Um, and plus, you know, just the fact that it was so expensive to me, like on my wage at the time, like um, sometimes I could only go every month or every three weeks. Um you know, I kind of like ramped it up as we went along and was going like every two weeks uh, by the end of it. But um, yeah, I really felt like it had to work. So I was kind of like motivated for myself in a way just because I was <laughs> I was determined to kind of get value for money. But um, it was kind of infectious. Like I also I had no idea that psychotherapy would be such an interesting, rich feel, field of study. Um yeah, I was I was blown away that therapy was what it was. Like when I first started therapy, I had no idea how sitting in a room and talking to somebody else, like a stranger for money, I didn't see how it could help me. Um, and now I kind of, I, I'm just kind of in awe of therapists. And, you know, part of the reason why I'm, I'm doing these comics is that 
there were so many resources out there for therapists. So, you know, I, I was getting interested in therapy and like reading all different kinds of books, like from family therapy and Virginia Satir to uh, Thich Nhat Hanh and, um, you know, and like Dick Schwartz's stuff. And I was reading about somatic uh, experiencing and EMDR, all these m models that I hadn't actually tried. I was just so curious about them. Um, but everything I could get my hands on was not really for therapy clients. It was all for therapists, you know. So I was kind of like learning stuff that was kind of like above my pay grade in a way. And part of doing the, the comics is that I'm doing it from a client's point of view. And there's not many there's not many materials out there that actually are from that viewpoint, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I agree a lot with that. And I think that obviously because of privacy concerns, mm -hmm. you know, people don't often get to see each other's therapy sessions. Right. But if people like I, I have someone that I do an IFS thing with once a week, we trade off like sort of bartering the mm -hmm. service and neither of us are therapists, but we took an IFS class together. Yeah. And I think one of the most powerful parts of being on the other end of that and like doing IFS on someone and having that done to you is that me and this person have similar parts. Mm. You know, we have some exiles or some protectors that are similar and just, and it's the same reason why I like your comics and why so many other people do is because if you can identify your parts in someone else, there's like, there's a healing there and just normalizing it. Yeah. And also there might be some skills learned in how to work with it. So just making more of these sort of sessions available to people um, is in and of itself like a very powerful thing, I think. Yeah, thank you. And I, I want to add to that and say that I, I think that when you um, when you have childhood trauma, it can feel like one of the loneliest things in the world. You can feel like it's just you and that you're kind of like weird and nobody else is like you on the inside. And then, you know, once I started sharing this work and other people would say, I have that same part or I experienced this too and it was so hard you no longer feel like lonely and it takes care of a lot of the shame as well you know so when you find that community and and find that you're not so different after all it's incredibly healing and freeing so that has been a gift to me like the, the, sort of the community that's gathered around my work oh it teaches me so much and just expands my heart you know um, people share their own stories with me you know kind of like privately and I just have so much admiration and awe for people who are embarking on healing because it's not an easy thing to do. Um, yeah, and, and it's such a brave thing to do. It's such a courageous thing to do. And the world benefits from it, you know, because you don't just improve your life. Even though it's difficult, you improve your own life, but you do, you sort of purify the air around you a little bit, you know, because you're no longer sort of projecting your own unhealed um, sort of trauma and attachment injuries you no longer project them on other people you sort of take care of your own internal system so I think it's a really powerful thing to do and I get as much from it from sharing this work um, I get so much back from it that you know it, thank you for your kind words but it, it really gives me so much as well you know I'm happy to share this work now mm -hmm. yeah and that kind of leads me to another question I had you were saying that you know, a few years in after having all these notes jotted down about your mm -hmm. sessions, you're starting to feel less protective. Yeah. Um, I, I, can you say more about what, the, what does it mean to feel less protective and why, what, what changed that made it feel more comfortable or okay to create art out of this and share it with people? The short answer to that is I'd created a lot of trust in myself. Um, so my, my second therapist described IFS as a way to get to know yourself like really, really well. And 
once you um, once you start to sort of go inside and kind of connect with your parts, the first parts you're going to meet are basically what Dick Schwartz calls your protector parts or your manager parts. And your protector parts basically, like since childhood, have taken on roles to keep you looking good, to keep you safe. You know, they're not going to let you take risks. They're not going to make you look stupid. And so these are the very first parts that you meet. They may take on like the voice of like, you know, like a critical family member. Um, you know, they may criticize you to keep you safe in a way. So these protective parts are amongst the first ones you meet. I think my my skeptic, I was so skeptical and, mis, you know, mistrustful of IFS when I first heard about it. And that was a protective part that was, you know, like a skeptical part trying to keep me safe because, you know, as a kid, I'd been in the Jehovah's Witnesses and that was kind of quite cultish and, you know, you can't think for yourself. And so that part of me was determined, you're not going to make that mistake again, you know. Um, and so, yeah, you meet this protective system and gradually as you work with them and you kind of unburden the pain that they're kind of shielding you from, it, it kind of generates something else. It generates a lot of self-trust and um, a lot of awareness. And that's kind of like where the real healing happens once you can start to dismantle the armor a little bit. But you have to do it with their permission. You can't just like plow in there, start peeling off like your helmet and your, you know, your chest plate. You have to, you have to work with it slowly and gradually and and kind of build that trust organically. Totally. I um I have an impulse to try to assuage the worries or criticisms of the skeptics out there who are like, what what are you talking about? You're talking about people that live in your head, you need their permission. Like you know, I, I think I wouldn't have even been comfortable using the phrase like holding space like a year ago. So for mm -hmm. me, so much of this is still kind of new. And I'm, I still have that voice in my head that's like, well, someone with a discerning ear will be listening and being like, well, this can't be for me. These people are obviously lunatics, you know. <laughs> and, and that's a these, good thing, yeah. right? I mean, it's a good thing that you have those parts because there is a lot of like bad information out there in the world. There's a lot of charlatans and people who want to manipulate you and trick you. So, you know, like take a second to sort of thank those parts for like looking out for you you know so um yeah yeah no i i hear you and i love that it sort of sounds like some kind of natural gratitude for the parts that i think at least in the beginning of therapy and probably for a long time uh, my feeling towards them can be an, a, a feeling of annoyance or contempt or frustration. Like, oh, why are these guys still here? Like, why is this like classroom <laughs> of kindergartners? What, what are they doing living in my head? Like, why are they why are they upset so easily? Like, why do they have yeah. such like extreme preferences? Yeah, and I, you know, absolutely. I still get reactive about things, and I wish I didn't. It's like, come on, I've done three years of healing. I should be like over this by now. But you know. Um, the world is not an easy place and so it's it's pretty natural to to kind of get upset and to you know to get angry by things and yeah to get frustrated I mean these are all like natural emotions and kind of healthy in themselves to feel them it's just you know when they kind of completely like take over and we're kind of you know Dick Schwartz called it being blended with a part so you know you can be angry and the anger is taken over and you're kind of seeing red or you can be angry and aware that you're angry and yet you're not being like violent and you're not acting out you know it's like I'm totally aware of my anger right now and it's not in the driving seat you know that's the sort of gift of IFS that's what I mean when I say like a little bit of space you know and that's I mean that's also a key part of uh, mindfulness right you know you sort of start to observe your emotions and um, you know you're not them you're not your emotions that's that's my understanding of mindfulness anyway you know 
Yeah, and this is an interesting, sometimes there's a tension or maybe I'm just making it up, but what do you, I don't know how down into the weeds you've gone into the whole mindfulness thing. It, it's an important practice for me as mm-hmm. is IFS, but when I was first learning about IFS, it seemed like, and then I went on a meditation retreat, I felt like I wanted to be very argumentative with mm-hmm. the mindfulness teachers who were like, oh, that's just a thought, just ignore it. You know, it mm-hmm. seemed like there was some tension there, but um, I'm curious what what you think. Um, I'm a really big fan of Jack Cornfield. Um, I don't know if you like his work or not, but I, I think he's a such an interesting, like warm-hearted guy. And, um, you know, he's he's also done like a lot of like psychology. And even though he didn't do IFS, he kind of like, worked, I think he did maybe Jungian analysis. But he did, he worked with like aspects of himself and like the energy of it kind of like, you know, kind of like burn itself out. When you listen to like Ramdas talking like, you know, like back from the 70s, um, he was working with a, a guru and this guru was asking him to basically identify parts of himself and and just, you know, like feel the energy of it and then kind of like transcend it. So I think a lot of the things that IFS um, taps into are things that are already just currently out there in the world. The great thing about IFS is that it gives you um, kind of like a model, like a system to work with. You know, there is something in IFS called the six Fs, which I work with a lot when I do self-work. And it's just like a structure. It's almost like a flowchart in a way. Like you find a part and you focus in on it and you check how you feel towards it. So this is why it's called the Fs because it's all the Fs, you know. And it, it just gives you a great systematic way of like working with your parts that for me, it's just kind of like easier than <laughs> trying to reinvent the wheel or figure this out on your own. But the, the whole purpose of it is to kind of like reach a state of your core self, you know. Dick Schwartz identifies like you know that you're kind of in touch with your true self when you feel um, some curiosity or compassion, uh, clarity, confidence, um, creativity is one of them. He, he identifies these eight C's. And when you kind of can feel some of those going on in your system it's like okay well I have some self-energy here too I know that I'm on the right path so it just gives you a really in a, a really great inner map to dealing with emotions which can be so unwieldy like I needed that map you know um, and I'm very involved I'm very interested in spirituality I'm very interested in kind of like meditation I wouldn't say that mindfulness is my thing particularly but I think IFS works so well if you are undertaking a spiritual um inquiry because like i said it's this this great like map um you know it gives you a map foundation for you to kind of like really get to know yourself and then i think that's you know there's the old proverb right know thyself (laughs) um it's such an important thing you know totally and um i don't know if this is a bit of sour grapes but i feel like for those who don't experience or haven't experienced too many mental maladies and just seem maybe unblended or integrated most of the time just as a a matter of coincidence it's it's probably leads to i don't know i I can't say maybe an easier life but without getting to know you know this constellation of you know little men and women Mm -hmm. um you know that are are driving the controls up there I mean, I, I don't know if I should say it's a loss, but it is really interesting to get to know these things, even if it comes at a bit of a cost and, you know, mental suffering. For sure. I mean, it would be nice to sort of go back and wave a magic wand and have a, you know, perfectly happy, healthy childhood. And I can't do that. But the fact that I did have trauma to heal has given me 
so many gifts that um I don't you know I wouldn't go back and rewrite it if I could like I will stay on this path and I'm kind of like grateful to it because it's I'm not trying to make myself sound like a great person but you know when you do this work on yourself and you connect to yourself and you start to feel empathy for yourself I mean that's the point where you can sort of recognize it in other people and so sort of by doing my own healing work I've been able to sort of recognize and and empathize with the sort of the burdens that other people are carrying you know so it has it's made me a, a kinder more gentler person and yeah I feel so grateful to it I feel so grateful to to all that I've experienced because it's been the most wonderful teacher you know mm-hmm. yeah so I feel like we've sp- spent so much time talking about IFS and not a lot about like comics and and graphic novels and stuff like that oh sure yeah (laughs) how about it i love comics sure and it's probably because i i'm not in that world as much um Mm -hmm. or you know really at all but um is is your main focus now these kinds of comics these themes or was there a time in your life where you were writing stuff that wasn't at all about mental health when you were creating graphic novels that weren't at all about these themes well weirdly enough you know i got the idea for doing Sky and Stereo which is my it's a two-part fictionalized graphic novel which is the story of when I was 17 and I took psychedelics and ended up hospitalized and I was really I had the idea for making it a graphic novel through um, Sylvia Plath the bell jar and you know it was unwittingly ended up writing about mental illness even back then Um, but that was never really my intention I always wanted to do sort of fiction and lighter stuff and I still want to do that Um, it's very hard to make a living in making comics like it's not a very well-paid arena and it's taken me like I'm 47 now and only in the past couple of years have I been able to um, actually make a living making comics so it's taken me a very long time to sort of get here but you know the combination of having my Patreon and people support me there and also getting a book deal between those two things it's like I can live pretty well making comics now Um, and so I still have a lot to say about you know, about mental health. And so I'm going to still, I'm always going to make comics about that. I would like to make comics about spirituality, like in the future, um, but I can only do one book at a time. So like I said, I've got another graphic novel called Strange Kind of Love, which is most fun for me to work on. And that's kind of about psychedelics. And it's also a historical graphic novel set in the 1980s. Um, And I do want to get back to that one day, but I, you know, I'm under contract with Penguin to do the therapy memoir. And so that has to sort of take precedence right now. But yeah, I've reached this point where I get up in the morning and my job is to sit at my desk and draw comics. So it's such a blessing. It's wonderful. Totally. Yeah, I feel that this is sort of just a question about graphic novels in general. But, mm-hmm. you know, in, in each panel, a lot of times when the, when it, there's the same character that's persisting through all of it, you have to keep drawing the same person over and over again. <laughs> yeah, does, do. that, does that get annoying? <laughs> I'm sure if you work in a factory, like sticking bolts and tightening them up, it would be the same kind of thing. It's kind of like muscle memory now to me. It Does it get annoying? Um, no, you know, sometimes I look at a page of comics because it's like I still draw on paper. I'm quite traditional that way. I draw on paper. And so you have to kind of like sketch the thing and then pencil the thing and then ink the thing and color the thing. So, you know, when you by the time you're coloring it it's like your fourth time like working on this page like yeah you get a bit sick of it sometimes but it's also like the thing I've wanted to do my whole life so you sort of you take the the grind with the um 
with the sort of the peaks of inspiration you know it's all part of it so I get to do this now so I'm never ever going to complain about having to draw the same thing over and over the thing I do worry about is people getting sick of me drawing my face over and over again um so far that hasn't happened but you know if that does happen I might have to start drawing myself as like maybe a horse or some kind of spiritual animal I don't know spirit animal we'll see Wait, you're saying people might anticipate you might you you would anticipate some um sort of fatigue and people seeing the same face over and over again yeah you know like people you know sometimes I'll be drawing like because I draw myself you know and I'm like aren't people sick of seeing my face <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if Brad Pitt has ever had that thought but I'm not sure <laughs> oh, well, that's nice thank you yeah okay I, I sometimes think of you know the comic strip Kathy and you know it's, it's Kathy freaking out all the time it's like am I that have I turned into that but <laughs> you just have to trust that no it's okay people people still seem to like it so so yeah that's why I kind of want to get back to doing fiction at some point because it'll be a nice break from just drawing myself. I can draw some other people, you know. So, yeah. Totally. <laughs> let, let me ask you about style. Mm -hmm. um, I took a comic course once, and the teacher was very good. But the way that his style was very ornate, you know, mm -hmm. and like I, I don't know how long he spent on each panel, but there was ink everywhere, and there are all these like little details and stuff. And it seems that your approach is is not like that at all. It's more simple. Yeah. Um, but those are probably not the two categories that exist. There's probably a whole world and a way of understanding like di different styles. But how, how do you describe um, the general, I don't know, category that maybe that your drawing fits in into this world? Well, I think, you know, when you set out on a career of uh, kind of like visual illustration, which I did when I finished college in my early 20s, you know, I knew I wanted to be a cartoonist. And... I used to kind of like draw a lot more on the page than I do now. And I think that was a lack of confidence, you know. Um, I think the key for any artist is what's going to happen is you're basically going to be finding your own handwriting, you know. Like if you're a singer, you're going to be finding your voice or, you know, as a director of films, you're going to find your own kind of like vision or style or whatever it is, whatever your thing is. And for me, it was just a question of finding my own sort of signature style and it, it kind of, it's just what's come up. It's not really something I've consciously, maybe not too consciously, um, thought so hard about. It's just kind of whatever works. And um, there's a quote by, uh, oh my goodness, George Orwell. It's a quote by George Orwell. And he, he was talking about writing and he said that good prose is like a window pane. You know, you can just like see right through it into the story. And I kind of hold that quite dear. I try not to put any extra bells and whistles on. I just draw what's necessary. Um, and, you know, when people are reading a comic, they, you know, it's not animation. You're going to have like ellipses between panels. So I'm going to be like, you know, it might be six in the morning in one panel. And in the next panel, it's six o'clock at night. And people are making that leap with you. You know, they kind of understand because you've drawn like, you know, the sky's gotten dark and you're covered by a blanket so people are making that leap with you so you don't have to draw everything so for me it's really just stripping down to like what's necessary creatively um and then you've got less to draw so <laughs> works out right totally i think it's <clears throat> easier on the reader too because i know that i've when i've read 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 some graphic novels and there's like a real lot of really ornate mm. imagery i just i find it it's almost like when you're watching a movie with subtitles and the screen is like maybe too close to your face mm -hmm. and you have to like keep looking down at the bottom to understand what's going on, but then yeah. looking up again to see what's happening. It's nice if there's less 
stuff going on, I think, because then you don't you a don't feel like you're missing out. And B, I guess you, you feel like you're pretty quickly getting the whole picture. Absolutely. When it comes to the technical side of things, um, I kind of realized early on and like sharing these therapy comics online that people were mostly going to be reading them on their phone. And so I wanted to make it as easy as possible for people to sort of read them on a screen. So it'd be like square panels with not too much in it so that they can just slide to the next to the next. And now I'm doing a book for, um, for, for Penguin. It's very much like I'm back into the whole process of like page design and someone's going to sit with a book in their lap and actually like turn the page. So it's, you know, like technically getting back into the, the whole design aspect of it as well. So I'm kind of like jumping between two worlds right now, like doing online comics and doing comics for print. Um, and that makes me very happy. But yeah, it very much is a technical thing you have to think about. You just need to make it easy for your reader because there's so much distraction out there. You know, if someone's going to give you like five, 10 minutes of their time, you just have to make it easy for them to sort of stay with you and not click away. Right. So I don't want to make it too complicated or too difficult. For sure. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So here's a weird question. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a favorite part or parts that maybe used to bother you, but now you see them as it's like supporters or friends, or maybe I think I read in one comic, like a part of your dragon or something. <laughs> um, you know, there's parts of myself from different ages. And I think that's what, that's what's the most touching and real for me. Like I've met myself with so many different ages in so many different situations and there's me about seven years old. Um, and, um, you know, it's like a really difficult time in my life, this part of me. Like, her parents have just split up and they're kind of homeless. They're living on an aunt's floor. And my mom's unhappy and crying all the time. And this seven-year-old kid, I've actually, I've, I actually got given a photograph of myself at that age. And you, I've got this photograph up in my, in my living room now. I kind of blew it up and framed it. And this kid is just so serious and she looks so tense and she's so little and she's got all this kind of like big crimped hair because it was the 1980s and this kid's looking directly at the camera and there's just so much going on with her and because I've met her so many times in IFS sessions like I really know what's going on inside that kid now and she's in my heart she's so with me a little seven-year-old and she's not sad anymore you know because she's with me now we have a lot of fun together we can sit and enjoy a vegan ice cream in the sun and she's right there with me like this is delicious you know or playing with the cat or just having so much fun in my life because this little kid version of me who didn't really get to have fun as a kid she's kind of back and she's present and she's kind of enjoying all the good things in my life right now right here with me so she's a part of me that I'm very very fond of and I'm so glad I've connected with Wow. Well, I love that answer. Um, <laughs> Thank you. That was really heartwarming. And I'm, yeah, I'm glad I asked. Yeah. Um, well, that, that's amazing. So um, where can people find you? I know ifscomics.com. Mm-hmm. They can find you uh, online, on Patreon somewhere. I have a Patreon, yeah, which is, that is a really nice space because it's not like the whole internet it's not like everybody can read my stuff there it's like a much smaller community of a couple of hundred readers and so I can actually get a little bit more candid there and maybe share stuff that I wouldn't share like on the main web but I'm also on Facebook um I think on Facebook I'm Sasha Mardu and on Instagram I'm Mardu underscore draws and then yeah ifscomics.com you can also just google like Mardu and comics and you'll find all sorts of stuff there including short stories that I did for like Mother Magazine and the Comics Journal. 
I've been making comics a long time, so my my career kind of like predates therapy. But um, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff you can find on there. And say and hi. Of course, <laughs> yeah, and of course, your two the two volumes of Sky and Stereo are on Amazon and all the other places. Yeah, yeah. So I'm still very fond of that graphic novel. Like it's you know it's a black and white graphic novel. It's each book is about 170 pages, and you can read them individually or you can read them together. I think they're better together, but you know, if you're looking for a Christmas present for someone who's 18 to 25, that might be a good, a good Christmas gift. <laughs> got to plug myself, right? Totally. Yeah, you got to <laughs> shake what your mama gave you. As oh, thank say. you. Yes. That's the way I like to describe it. Okay, well, this has been a lovely chat. Is there anything that you haven't shared that you want to share with uh, whoever's listening out there? Might be someone experiencing anxiety or someone who's interested in cartooning or maybe just a fan? You know, um, so when you you step on the path of healing, you know it's it's not an easy thing to do. And I do salute you, whoever's listening to this, if you if you begin your own healing. And it can take so many different forms, like IFS and talk therapy and drawing a lot is what worked for me. But there is there are so many great teachers out there, and there is just so much to learn about ourselves that I would encourage everyone to do it and to do it with generosity and self care and. Um, and just stay curious because there's just so much to learn. It's it's a very scary, dark place in our world right now, but it's just shot through with light in so many ways that just I keep trying to gravitate towards the light and it kind of keeps me optimistic and it keeps me feeling a lot of faith in people. So there's some good people out there who can help you heal, like find them and utilize them. That would be my advice. That's a, that's a beautiful sentiment. I think that'll be well received. Oh, thank you. Um, well, yeah, thanks so much, Sasha, for being on the podcast. Um, big fan here. So a lot of gratitude for just having you this hour. Oh, thank you. And thank you for your intelligent and insightful questions. I really enjoyed talking to you, Josh. <laughs>